I want to thank you for joining us today and connecting with us. If you are new to our church, I am Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. And it is great to start this new year with each one of you. And we are thrilled about what God is going to do this year. And we are excited that you are a part of beginning this new year with us. And I don't know about you, but I think probably the biggest waste of money for me last year was buying a 2020 planner. Uh, Anybody else feel that way? You know, you begin the new year and you start writing down your plans and your goals and what you hope to accomplish. You, you get out your calendar and you start, start scheduling what you're going to do and where you're going to go. I mean, for many of us, whether it was a printed calendar or planner or it was a, a digital format or maybe it was just something in the back of our mind, we had plans and ambitions for 2020 We had family vacations, and we had wedding plans, and uh, we had opportunities to move and to start a new business or to take a new job. We had all of these great plans. And yet, 2020, although it promised perfect vision, you know, that's what they say about 2020. 2020, oh, that's perfect vision. You can't get any better than that. 2020 actually taught us to expect the unexpected. 2020 taught us that our best laid plans can sometimes go awry. That there are things that we put on the planner that never happened. I mean, weddings were canceled or postponed. Uh, We had family vacations that were canceled. Church services, in-person services canceled and everything moved online. We had businesses that downsized and laid off employees. Maybe you were one of those people. We had people for the first time in their life who had to apply for unemployment benefits, something they never thought they would do. We had people that went through all sorts of changes and transitions, and they watched their best laid plans fall apart. And you know, it, it can be frustrating when our plans don't come to fruition. Whenever we have circled a date on the calendar and we say, this is what I'm going to do on that day, and then it doesn't happen and it can't happen, we can become frustrated. We can become confused. We can become aggravated. We can feel disoriented. And if you have any spiritual thought whatsoever, you can sometimes get a little angry at God. God, where are you? Why did you let this happen to me? God, this doesn't make sense to me. So is the solution that we just need to stop planning? That we just don't need to take a planner and think about what we're going to do? Is that what we should do is just give up planning, just figure out whatever's going to happen that day just happens and we're not going to give any thought to planning for the future? Well, no, I don't think that's the right option. There's nothing wrong with planning. We ought to plan. We ought to plan where our dollars are going to go. We call that a budget. Uh, We ought to plan what we're going to do with our time. We ought to plan uh, the strategies of our business or what we want to accomplish in our personal life, in our vocation or our education. There's nothing wrong with planning. But if we're not careful, we will commit a fatal flaw in our planning. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to take you to the New Testament book of James, James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13, because the half-brother of Jesus warns us about this fatal flaw of planning that we need to be on guard against, that we need to be careful that we don't commit this fatal flaw that can mess up all of our plans. And in James chapter 4, we see the brother of Jesus, who's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the first church, the first Christian church. He's the pastor of this church in Jerusalem. And now he's writing a letter to Christians in the first century, 
Jewish Christians who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire because of persecution. Because of their faith in Jesus, they're being persecuted by others who do not share their faith. And he's writing this letter, and this letter is being circulated throughout these Christian communities in the empire. And he's hoping to give them some practical encouragement and instructions on how to live for God, even when times are difficult. And in one of this one part of this letter, he talks about the importance of planning correctly. And uh, he's writing in James chapter 4, verse 13, and this is what he writes. Let's read it together, verses 13 through 17. He, he writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. James is picturing and perhaps even thinking about a specific group of people in the first century, Christian business people, who are making these wonderful plans, but they've committed a fatal flaw in their planning process. Now, I think it's important to note, first of all, before we get too far into this, there is nothing wrong with planning. James is not criticizing people who plan. James is not saying you should never plan. But he is going to warn them about a fatal flaw. So whenever you look at these people who've made their plans, it, it, it's almost like a group of businessmen. I can, I can imagine them. They've, they've got their demographic studies laid out on the table. Uh, they've got their map laid out on the table. They've got their product catalog of what they're going to sell. Uh, they've got the psychographics of the people that live in that city that they plan to go to. And they say, we're going to go on such and such a day to such and such a city. We're going to stay there for a year. We're going to buy and sell things and we're going to make a profit. We are going to make some money. And by the way, the Bible has no problem with people making a profit honestly. Nothing wrong with that. James doesn't criticize that either. These people are planning. And it's great. We ought to be people who plan. Look at what they've planned. They've planned the timing. Today or tomorrow. So they've got the timing in mind. We're not sure if we're going to be able to pull this off today. We may not be able to get it all together until tomorrow. But come now, you who say, today or tomorrow. They also have their destination planned out. Today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city. They've already scoped out which city is the best city for them to make a profit and not only have they figured out their timing and their destination, they've even laid out their duration. We're going to spend a year there. We're not moving there permanently. This is just a year-long adventure to go out into business and to make some money. Our intention is we're going to buy things and we're going to sell things. And our motivation is we are going to make a profit. That's a good business plan, by the way. A good business plan that, that answers the question, the who, what, when, where, why, and how. How are we going to do that? That's a good business plan. The problem is not in the act of planning. 
The problem is in the attitude towards planning that James points out in the lives of these planners. The problem is not in the act of planning, but the attitude of planning. There's no humility whatsoever in this plan. There's no contingency whatsoever for this plan to change. And there is no reference to God in this plan. And James is writing to Christians. And so if you're not a Christian, uh, you, you you get off the hook today. Uh, Because James is writing to Christians, and this is what you can hold us Christians to. James is writing to Christians who have laid out these specific, detailed plans, and yet there's no humility there. They're they're just arrogantly assuming everything is going to happen just like they've written it down. And there is no acknowledgement of God here. You don't hear them praying, saying, God, what is your will for our lives? God, will you make the way possible for us to go to the city? Will you prosper us and bless our endeavors? No, they've not made any reference to God whatsoever. And James is quick to point out to them the error of their ways. He says, come now. Come here, listen to me. I've got something important to say to you. Those of you people who are saying today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to such and such a city and I'm going to stay there a year and buy and sell and make a profit. Verse 14, he writes, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life will be? For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. James says there's nothing wrong with planning. It's the attitude, not the act of planning, where you have gone wrong. Because of the uncertainty and frailty of your life, you shouldn't be arrogant. He points out the uncertainty of life. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. I can make my plans for tomorrow and I can circle it on my calendar and I can say, this is what I will do tomorrow. This is where I will go tomorrow. This is who I will talk to tomorrow. And yet, I don't really know what tomorrow will bring. Isn't that true? I can promise you this. It was not on my calendar, April 9th, 2020, to have a heart cath and be told, you're not going home. You get to have double bypass surgery. That was not on my calendar. No one asked me about that. I would have voted against that. That would not have made it on my planner. You don't know what tomorrow holds, and neither do you, James says. None of us know what tomorrow holds. Life is uncertain, and if last year taught us anything, it taught us to expect the unexpected, to get comfortable with the uncertainties of life. And not only is your life uncertain, your life is fragile. He says, what your life is like is a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. I remember one morning having to go make a hospital visit early in the morning, be there at 5.30 in the morning to pray with one of our church members before a major surgery. And as I was making my way to Baptist South Hospital near St. Augustine, I was amazed at how foggy it was that morning. I mean, I could barely see you know, a few car lengths ahead of me. It was so foggy. So I've got my, my, my headlights on and uh, make my way to the hospital. I spend a little over an hour there at the hospital, and then I leave. And when I get back in my car, I can see as the sun is rising, the fog is dissipating. Much more easy to see now that the fog has lifted. 
And it was like God was reminding me, Ricky, this is what your life is like. In light of eternity, your life is like a vapor. It is here today. It is gone in no time. It's like that steam that rose from your morning cup of coffee today. You see the wisp of steam. They rise and they dissipate and they're gone. And that is the way our lives are. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So if it's not humbling enough that your life is uncertain, it certainly ought to be humbling that life is fragile. And I know you're saying, Pastor, it's the first Sunday of the new year. I was expecting this great rah-rah kind of sermon, and here you are bringing me down. You're talking about death. Well, I'll make a deal with you. If you can get people to stop dying, I'll stop talking about it. I promise you. But the last time I checked my statistics, one out of one people die. It is, a, it is an epidemic. It is a pandemic that sweeps across this world. It's called death. And each one of us need to be humbled by the uncertainty and fragility of life. And so before we get arrogant and we forget God and we no longer need God and we don't think we're dependent on God, just take a look at the reality of your life and you'll discover you better be a little more humble because of the uncertainties and frailties of life. Whenever I read James's letter and I get to these verses, I always think about a story his brother Jesus told. You remember the parable in Luke chapter 12, it was the parable of the rich fool as we call him. Jesus said there was once this rich man who, who had more harvest than he knew what to do with, and his barns were too little. Harvest was too big, barns are too little. So he said to himself, I'm going to do this. I'll tear down my barns. I will build bigger barns. I will put all of my stuff in those big expanded barns. barns and then I will say to myself, soul, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, don't you know tonight your soul will be required of you? And when you're gone, who will all these things belong to? And Jesus says, that's what it's like to be rich in the things of this world and yet be poor towards God and not have faith and trust in God. And I think that's one of the things James also is warning us about. He's warning us about arrogance in our planning and he's encouraging us to stay humble and flexible in our planning. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring forth. And because of the uncertainty and frailty of life, what should we do? Should we just stop planning? Should we simply forego the planning process? No. James gives us a better way. Verse 15, Instead, you should say. So rather than planning without God, leaving God out of your plan, being arrogant in your plans. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James says, there's nothing wrong with your plans, but you need to lay your plans in God's hands. You, you need to submit your plans to the sovereign will of God if the Lord wills. In, in times past, some people took this so seriously that they would 
sign their letters at the end with their name, and then put the initials D.V. And it was Latin. It stood for Deo Volente. Deo, God or Lord, Volente, will, volition. So they were saying, here's what I want to do. I want to come see you. I want to accomplish these things. And they signed their name, and then they would put the initials D.V., Lord Willing. I want to do all of this. I've got my plans. I've got my thoughts. I've got my agenda. But I am going to place my plans in God's hands. Because ultimately, anything that I accomplish will be because the Lord has allowed it and the Lord has willed it. If the Lord wills, we will live. Listen, we don't, we don't bank on tomorrow. If it's the Lord's will that we get another day, that day is a gift from God. If we get another day, that day ought to be embraced as a gift from God. And say, God, thank you for giving me this new day to live for you. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If God's in it, we're going to be able to accomplish these plans. Because God is not obligated to bless my plans. God only blesses my plans when my plans line up with His plans. And I want to make sure that I'm in the center of the Lord's will. And isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? Remember the day that the disciples of Jesus came to him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray? It's interesting, they never said, Jesus, teach us to preach. They said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy name kingdom come, thy will be done. Good King James Version. Our Heavenly Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, when you pray, and I'm going to assume you're going to pray because he didn't say if you pray, but when you pray, submit your plans into God's hands. Pray for God's will to be accomplished in your life and through your life. Let the world see through your humility and let the world see through your attitude towards God that you believe in God and that your number one priority is to live out the will of God for your life. And Jesus not only preached this, he practiced this in his own life here on earth. Do you remember in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My food, what sustains me in this life, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said, The very sustenance of my life is not to do my will, but to do the will of my heavenly Father who sent me into this world. And don't you remember? In the Garden of Gethsemane, before the cross of Calvary, three times Jesus falls on his knees before his heavenly Father, and he prays about that cross that is looming over him. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It was a metaphor of the, from the Old Testament about drinking a cup of suffering all the way down to the dregs in the very bottom of the cup. And Jesus says, I know that I will suffer for the sins of the world. If there's some other way to accomplish your will, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Jesus prayed, your will be done, not mine. 
If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. What was Jesus doing? He was laying his plans in the hands of his Father. And that is exactly what each one of us should do. Yeah, plan, set your goals, have dreams, have ambitions, have a hope for a better day, have a, a, a hope and an ambition for things you want to accomplish. But when it's all said and done, say, Lord, if it's your will, this is what I want to do. God, if it's your will, this is what's going to be accomplished. God, if it's in your will, and then what happens whenever the plans change? What happens whenever something happens that messes up our plans? Well, it reminds us to be humble because it was not really about my plan in the first place. It's always been about God's plan accomplished through me. And it helps me to remain flexible because now, rather than getting disgusted with the changes that have happened that weren't on my agenda, now I'm able to be more flexible because I know my Heavenly Father is still at work. And yes, even when bad things happen and crash into my life, I know, and according to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that He can make all things work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. And I can remain flexible to His purpose in my life. And I can remain thankful. God, thank you that you're accomplishing your will in my life. God, I thank you that my life is not out on the sea of circumstances. My life is firmly in your hands. And I'm thankful that you are with me no matter what. So the bottom line is simply put your plans in the hands of God. Now James continues, and we're going to finish here. He, he writes in verse 16, But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. James says, you've been planning without thinking about God and God's will for your life. That's arrogant. Stop doing that. And now that you know what is right, if you don't do it, if you don't do the right thing, you're sinning. Don't sin. Include God in your plans. Place your plans in the Lord's hands. That's the right thing to do. And we all know that. We all know that deep down. We all know that we should place our plans in God's hands. God, my life is in your hands. My time is in your hands. My money is in your hands. My talents and abilities and opportunities are in your hands. And God, I want you to have your will done in my life. My life is about living for you and glorifying you in whatever you'd have me to do. We know that's right. Then include God in your plans. So every day, say, God, if it's your will, this is what I want to do. If it's your will. I'm going to give us a verse of Scripture that is going to be our theme verse for this year. It's, it's one of my favorite verses. No, it's not John 3, 6. How do you ever say it's one of my favorite? It's like which of your children are your favorite? You know, the whole Bible is my favorite. Uh, but, but there are just certain verses that I need from time to time that really speak to me. And I want to give you a verse. It's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And this is going to be a passage of Scripture that I'm going to encourage you to memorize this year. But more than memorize, I'm going to encourage you to live by it to think about what it means. And typically, I don't do this. Typically, I do not give you a totally different passage of Scripture at the end of my sermon than what I just talked about. 
Because then it brings up all kinds of questions. Well, what does that verse mean? And what does this word mean in the Hebrew? And, and we can get off on tangents. But the reason I'm doing it today is because I hope you will say, what does this verse really mean? You'll go and study it for yourself. Think about it. Research it. Pray about it. Memorize it. And apply it to your life. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In other words, include Him in your thoughts. Include God in your plans. Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Maybe your translation reads, And He will make your paths straight. It simply means that when we humble ourselves before God and we bring God into every plan and every conversation and every equation of our lives, God will be found faithful to direct us. And God will be found faithful to clear the path, to make it straight so that we can accomplish His will for our lives. So that's your verse. That's your homework is to memorize Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. But more than memorize it, let's live it out. By putting God first in all of our thoughts and all of our plans. Next Sunday, I want to start a new series with you. And I hope you'll come back or I hope you'll connect with us again online. In fact, if you're connecting with us today, uh, comment below and let me know where you're, you're watching from. Are you at home or what state you're in? Let me know so that we can rejoice with people all around the world who are checking us out. But uh, I want to ask you to come back next week. I want to talk about, over the next few weeks, how to have more peace, love, and happiness. And our world needs a little more peace, love, and happiness. And some of my 60s kids in here, they're going, ooh, peace, love, and happiness. Peace out, absolutely. So come on back next week, and uh, we're going to talk about some things you can do and practice in your life that will bring more peace, love, and happiness into your life. Until then, I want us to pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder from James that we are to place our plans in your hands. Because God, in the end, as followers of Jesus, it's all about your will, not ours. Your plan first. In fact, your plan is the best. And we thank you that you want us to be a part of what you're doing in our family, in our community, in our church, in our world. And we want our plans to line up with your plans. And God, whenever things change... And it wasn't your will that we do something or go somewhere or accomplish something. or We can be humble before you. We can be flexible. And we can be thankful that you are still our God. And you have a purpose for us. And you want what's best for us. So Heavenly Father, I pray that each one of us would submit our plans into your hands. And if there's anyone today who needs a relationship with you, let them know today it's not through religion. It's not through doing good and trying harder and giving money and being charitable. The only way we can be right with you, God, sinners right with a holy God, is through a substitute, your son, our Savior, Jesus, who lived a perfectly righteous life, died on the cross for our sin, was buried, but on the third day he rose from the dead. And because of that, he has the power to forgive us of our sin and to give us the gift of eternal life. And so, God, I pray that today, in the stillness of this moment, that maybe a husband or a dad, a mom or a wife or a grandparent or a teenager today would say, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. 
Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead. And today I put my confidence in you to forgive me of my sin and to be my Lord and my Savior. I take you at your word where you promise whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, God, I call on you. Save me from my sin. And now that you've done that, help me to live for you and live out the will, the plan, the purpose that you have for my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Connect with us. Let us know what your next step is. God bless you.